0: You know, we all know that our nation is politically divided between conservatives and blithering snowflakes in the grip of an incohate ideology that serves as a mask for their self-righteous emotionalism. But when someone tries to hijack our national political conversation with violence, all Americans of goodwill come together to blame the other side. Police have intercepted several pipe bombs that were mailed to such high-profile far-left radicals as George Soros, Barack Obama, and CNN. The bombs came with the return address of Democrat Congresswoman and General Pants Debbie Wasserman Schultz. Now, of course, the police are searching for the culprit, but far be it from our elite political commentators to wait around for some working-class flatfoot to root out the actual doer before they start pontificating on how their political opponents are in some way to blame. Left-wing professor Ludwig von Offel, for instance, took time off from teaching his class on advanced progressive ideology at Harvard to pen an essay for the academic journal Intellectual Currents, which read in part, quote, Orange man bad, orange man evil, orange man come, and women weep, and all the crops die. Racist orange man, racist Hitler, man is woman, black is white, white is bad, anti-gay racist orange man, very white and bad, like Hitler." On the right, there have been several attempts to demonstrate that the bomber is actually a left-winger. One random Twitter guy, whose handle is one random Twitter guy, tweeted, quote, Such an obvious false flag. The bomber is clearly a leftist trying to seem like a right-winger so David Brock can convince Jack Dorsey to shut down conservative Twitter accounts, unquote. One random Twitter guy then pulled off his full-face mask to reveal he actually was David Brock, pretending to be a right-wing Twitter guy so he could convince Jack Dorsey to shut down conservative Twitter accounts. Meanwhile, in all the confusion, Debbie Wasserman Schultz has escaped. Trick <laughs> or I'm Andrew Klavan, and this is The Andrew Klavan Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is <laughs> tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky dunky Oh, hooray, hooray! Oh,
1: hooray, hooray!
0: Okay, we have the smart and beautiful roaming millennial here. She's going to talk to us in the second half of the show uh she made want megan kelly's spot megan kelly was has now been canned they're, i'm sure they're pretending it was about that thing the blackface thing but it was because her ratings aren't any good she's gonna walk away with tens of millions of dollars so i'm not sorry but i am so sick i am so sick of the apology game i really am i'm so sick of the left declaring what we can and can't say and what it's a teachable moment because we all have to be taught to sit, think what they think and say what they say i think it's it's rotten and i think it's rotten that they pretended to fire her for that, when obviously that's not what it's all about. But uh, now, Roaming, yeah, I'm sure they'll be looking for a, a beautiful young conservative woman to fill her spot. <laughs> ha 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 ha. Uh, Misen makes high-end kitchen knives that are com comparable to $150 knives, but they sell them directly to you for a fraction of the price. Let me tell you, I am not a big cook, but I love the right tools. I really love having the right tools, and I can fix almost anything if I have the right tools. And when I do cook, because I make my own lunch and I make omelets and stuff like that, I love these knives. They are so good. Everybody who's come to the house and used them has immediately comment on them, hey, great knife. And just like any other job, having the right tools can make all the difference. Giant knife sets can be a waste of space in your kitchen and money in your wallet. The Misen knife can replace 99% of what all knives in your big stand set can do. The New York Times calls it the holy grail of knives. The holy grail of knives. And you get free sharpening for life. And I've tried this. I really like it. Cooking is faster, easier, actually more fun with it. And now you can also join in the fun in your kitchen. My listeners will receive a free paring knife, which I also got, which is also terrific, when you purchase their chef's knife simply by going to Misen.co slash Andrew. That's a $35 value for free. That's M-I-S-E-N dot C-O slash Andrew and start cooking sharp. Get it? Cooking up. Uh, <laughs> uh, all right, you know every every uh, civilization has basic stories that are the prop of the civilization. Uh, ours, obviously, would include the signing of the uh, Constitution, the signing of the Declaration, the um, you know Jesus's resurrection, all these things that are our basic stories. And of course, one that I tell frequently is the one about Socrates when his friend uh, went the obviously the Greek philosopher's friend went to the Oracle at Delphi and asked, is there any man wiser than Socrates? Is anyone wiser than Socrates? And the Oracle of Delphi said no. And Socrates was baffled because he knew he knew nothing. And he went around town, Athens, asking all the famous people, the, the politicians and the artists and everybody, uh, asking them questions. And he realized, oh, I get it. They don't know anything either. The difference between them and me is I know, I know nothing. And that's what makes him the wisest man, in the world. He was the wisest man in the world because he knew he knew nothing. And that tells you something, that informs you about something that not only what wisdom is partially made of is the knowledge of how little you know, but it, how rare it is that everybody else thought they knew. And that is why when I see this thing with this bomber story, I see it unraveling, and people li- sent me out their lists on Twitter. You know, of oh, the 13 reasons why it's a false flag, or the 15 reasons why it's Donald Trump's fault, and it's this and it's that. You don't know. The guy who is going to know and who's going to tell you, the guy who's going to make you know, his first name is going to be detective, or maybe agent if he works for the FBI, that's who's going to figure it out. And it's these are the guys who's going to figure out it's not going to be, you know, Anderson Cooper, it's not going to be some random guy on Twitter. That's what that's the person who's going to tell us about the bomber. So we don't know that yet. I think we're going to find out soon because it sounded to me like they had a lot of evidence. I hope so. I think the guy should be put away. Obviously a terrorist, no matter who he's working for. So all we're yelling about in the aftermath of these bombs showing up at left-wing places, Barack Obama, CNN, John Brennan, I guess it was directed to at CNN. It was a little joke. at radical left-wingers like CNN. Um, but, uh, But all we're really talking about is our discourse. We're talking when we when we scream and yell at each other in the wake of one of these bombings we're talking about our violent discourse, our angry discourse and who's to blame for it. And let me tell you who it is. It's the media. Donald Trump is blaming the media and the media is going nuts because they say, "Oh no, it's all Donald Trump. It's all Donald Trump's fault. He's so mean. He says such mean things. He calls us the enemies of the people." Who do you think is to blame for this? As if as if Donald Trump dropped out of the sky into paradise, right? We were all sitting around. We all loved each other so much. And then Donald the Orange Man came from sky and appeared and suddenly everyone angry. I mean, as if. As if, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? It's amazing to me that these clowns, these media clowns don't know it's them, that they don't know what they've been doing for the past. I don't know how long it's been, 30 years that everyone they disagree with is a racist, that every single thing you know we say, uh, uh, someone who's not one of them, not a liberal, not a left-winger is like you know you know what they remind me of they they keep calling us racist sexist homophobic your culture is bad your your religion is lousy anybody who believes in your religion stinks oh we're changing the rules today now homosexuality homosexuality is fine and if you don't think so you're a hater now we're changing the rules and men can be women and women can be men we have it's, it it was in the new york times science section ran a, th- a thing saying that men are women and women are men and the whole all this nonsense and if you don't believe that you're a hater don't believe that the government should take over all of our energy because we're panicked about the climate change oh my god it's, it's climate denial just like the people who deny the holocaust they yell at you they yell at you they yell at you and suddenly you say oh yeah here's donald trump and it's like oh what what was that what where did that come from where did that come you know they, they remind me of that little kid who hits his brother his older brother and he keeps smacking his older brother and his older brother keeps saying, Would you stop? Would you stop? Would you stop? Finally, after being punched like a, you know 20 minutes, the older brother turns around and just smacks him, and the kids like, You hit me, you hit me. It's like you sent Donald Trump and now he's mean. So all of this, as, as far as the networks are concerned, it's and, and all of the news people, bombs showing up. They don't know who it is. They don't know if it's a false flag. They don't know, just like I don't know. They don't know if it's a left-winger. They don't know if it's a right-winger. They don't know what it is, but they know one thing. Donald Trump is to blame. Here is just, here is only two networks. Um, It's only ABC and NBC, because CBS is actually better than these guys. Not totally good, but much better than these two. So here's a little montage from our friends at NewsBusters. We heard the president obviously call for unity today, calling the pipe bombs abhorrent. But it's gonna lead to questions about the rhetoric, as I mentioned, we've been hearing in the country for some time now.
2: David, and the White House is already facing those questions here tonight. And again, that is because of what happened today. All of the targets are people that the president regularly attacks himself. Now, there is discussion among some sources about whether he might wanna tone it down in the wake of what happened today. But all of the consensus says that no one speaks for Donald Trump except Donald Trump himself. The question now, with less than two weeks to go in these midterms, Will he take his own advice and heed this call for unity?
0: Tonight, while the FBI hunts down whoever sent these bombs and their motives remain unknown, no matter who sent them, there are growing calls to turn down the heated political rhetoric before someone gets hurt. The head of CNN, Jeff Zucker, blasting the White House and the president late today. While there are
1: no answers yet on what led to today's incidents, President Trump has the biggest megaphone, and there are growing questions about how he is using it.
0: You know, I want to talk for a minute about this word unity. We're calling for unity. Donald Trump yesterday called for unity. We don't need unity. Why should we have unity? We don't agree on anything. Why should we have unity? We don't have to have unity. We just have to have unity on one thing, that we're allowed to disagree and we should be treated fairly as we disagree. That's the only thing we have to be unified about. The only thing we have to be unified about is that this is a pol- these are political conversations. They get passionate, but we're not gonna attack each other physically. We're not gonna call each other names. We're not gonna be uh, rude and uncivil. That's the only thing we need unity about. I don't want everybody to come together. I hate when they talk about bipartisanship. How can I be bipartisan with somebody I disagree with? We can compromise with each other. We can come to agreements. We can make political arrangements that we have to make because people have power and we, you know, we have power and they have power all that's fine. The only thing we have to have unity about is that we're not going to kill each other. So who is it, again, who's chasing people out of restaurants? Who is it that's been, you know, it, Donald Trump was not president when Ben Shapiro was fighting off like mobs of people trying to keep him from speaking on college campuses. Donald Trump, there was no Donald Trump then, you know? I mean. They they weren't, uh, th- that happened before Donald Trump. And by the way, and it was happening to other people too. It was happening to anybody in any class who stood up for himself, who said what he had to say. So all of that stuff predated Donald Trump. And were there any, can you name any conservative who shut down a left winger who told the left winger he couldn't speak? You can't. You know, I, I'm even wondering, I, I don't want to get into conspiracies I, I know there are bad people on both sides. that's That goes without question. But that thing where they were shouting at uh, Nancy Pelosi the other day and I said, well, that's wrong, too. I don't even know if that was truly right wingers, because the one thing I do know is nobody on the right, including Donald Trump, is saying to people, go to restaurants, don't get in their faces, get in their faces. Nobody. You know, when we talk about what you don't know, I told that story about what you don't know when Brett Kavanaugh was accused. I said, like, look, you don't know if you don't know, you don't know. And who is it there again? Who is it? who says when you don't like the Supreme Court justice accuses them of sexual malfeasance. Not just him, but Clarence Thomas, not just Kavanaugh, but Clarence Thomas. And what did they accuse Robert Bork of? Smoking dope. You know, he said, I smoked dope. And they said, well, we can't have a Supreme Court justice who breaks the law. Hey, you know, this is the last week. To get the Genucell Sunspot Corrector for free for sunspots, age spots, and even red inflamed patches, this could be yours for free with the purchase of Genucell. The brand new Genucell Sunspot Corrector boasts outstanding reviews, and you know I've been I've been playing with this stuff too, and it really does. It kind of erases all these things that pop up when you get uh, when you get a little older. Maybe some just you've been out in the sun too much, uh, and they really it really works well. This is the last week you can get this Sunspot Miracle free time. Is is running out to take advantage of this offer. Watch your sunspots vanish and your bags and puffiness under your eyes. It just kind of sucks them out of there somehow. For results in as little as 12 hours, the Genucel Immediate Effects is also yours free. Here's how you get it. You text EYES1 to 77453. That's E-Y-E-S number one to 77453 to get the Genucel Sunspot Corrector free with your order. Don't miss out. Order now, and as a bonus, receive receive Chamonix luxury microdermabrasion also free. I'm always so proud of myself when I actually say that. You know, it's a hard word. Order Genucel today. Just text EYES one to 77453, E-Y-E-S, number one, to 77453, and get the Genucel sunspot corrector free with your order. So let's listen to what Trump said at one of his rallies after the bomb showed up. Because it, it really is... It's interesting. Listen carefully to what he says, because every word here is true. And that's why the media went nuts. Okay, listen. Listen to this.
1: The language of moral condemnation and destructive routine. These are arguments and disagreements that have to stop. No one should carelessly compare political opponents to historical villains which is done often, it's done all the time, got to stop. We should not mob people in public spaces or destroy public property. There is one way to settle our disagreements. It's called peacefully at the ballot box. That's what we want. That's what like As part of a larger national effort to bridge our divides and bring people together, the media also has a responsibility to set a civil tone and to stop the endless hostility and constant negative and oftentimes false attacks and stories have to do it.
0: So this drove the media nuts. Why? Because it's true. There's nothing, nothing that sets off the left like the truth nothing makes them crazier than the truth. It's like watching watching bugs run around in a box. I mean, it's just the minute they hear the truth, they do not know where to go next. And of course, when he talks about, he talks about putting politics in this moral framework. Who does that? Who does that? I mean, who says, if you don't believe this, you are a bad person? It's not us. What we say to the left is that you're idiots, and they are. They're knuckleheads. Your stuff doesn't work. It's not right. It's not moral. It's not just... It's not achieving what you want to achieve. Sometimes sometimes we want to achieve the same thing. Often we want to achieve the same thing. I'd like to make sure that everybody feels comfortable in America, that everybody's fine, and everybody's happy. Sure. I don't think identity politics does it. I think it is a travesty. I think it's a monstrosity. I think it's racism. It's racism with a smiley face. But listen, I mean, I, I, the thing that baffles me with the press, it really does, because these are intelligent people. These aren't stupid people. You know, I mean, Anderson Cooper's not a dumb guy. That's not what it is. It's that they are just surrounded by themselves. They're like that thing, that new meme that they have, the non-playable character. I love that. You know, in video games, they have characters who don't get played, and they're just kind of faceless characters. So that's what they call the right now, these NPCs. And that's what it is. They're surrounded by these NPCs who agree with them. So there's no one there to say, you know, calling someone racist is hate speech. Calling someone racist is the worst thing you can say to someone in America. When someone agrees disagrees with you and you have, you know, look at me, I'm Jim Acosta saying, oh yeah, he said he's a nationalist because he cares about this country, but really he's a white nationalist, so he's a racist. Every word, they do that with every word, You're the one who is starting the fight. When somebody then smacks you, you can't just go, oh, you hit me, because you hit him first. So listen to Anderson Cooper. I'll I'll talk about this in a minute. This is Anderson Cooper talking to uh, Jeff Zelani about that speech that you just heard. President Trump, a former Secretary of State, and two ex-presidents are, in his words, merely former high-ranking government officials. He gave no names, nothing to indicate he sees them as individual human beings and distinguished former public servants as two former presidents of the United States. He also made what appears to be a first attempt at something familiar, putting the perpetrator and victim on equal footing. He also made no mention either of the bombs sent to the offices right behind me here at CNN. Anderson, he
1: also did not take responsibility at all for any of the heated rhetoric. Uh, tonight you could hear him sort of spreading around the blame. Uh,
0: you, you know, it's not his fault, it's yours. It's your fault, it is your fault. It is Andrew, Anderson Cooper, the guy who called, remember when the tea party started and he branded them tea baggers, you know, some stupid sex thing he did with his boyfriend and he called them tea baggers because they were ordinary people rising up against Barack Obama. How is that? How is that not the same rhetoric? How is that not the same rhetoric? Donald Trump is the man the American people sent to answer them, to answer them, his harsh Nasty way of talking resonates with those people because they've been listening to it from you, Anderson Cooper, for 30 years. That's why. That's why they sent him. And as for Roger Zeleny, he is—Jeff Zelani, he is— uh, Jeff the perfect example of the other side of this, because it's not just what they say, it's also what they don't say. Let us forget this is one of my favorite clips of all in all of journalism. This is the young Jeff Zellany as New York Times White House reporter before he was replaced by Clinton hanger-on Maggie Haberman. This is him asking the tough questions of President Barack Obama. Listen to this stuff.
1: During these first 100 days, what has surprised you the most about this office, enchanted you the most, about serving in this office, humbled you the most,
0: and troubled you the most. Uh, let me write this down. <laughs> what has enchanted first hundred days, three months of a presidency? That was his question. What has enchanted you? How come he hasn't asked Donald Trump that? Hey, Donald. Hey, President the Donald. What's enchanted you about the presidency? Uh, you know, this is the other side of this. It is not just what they say. It's what they don't say. It's eight years. Eight years of lying about Barack Obama, about his competence, about the way he ran the government, about the th- scandals that went uncovered and unreported and unpushed. They would report them. They would say they were happening, but they wouldn't run them down the way they have run down this Russia scandal, which doesn't exist, which clearly is a fantasy. You know, that. Uh, you know Robert Mueller is doing the right thing by not coming out with his report until after the election. That's the right thing to do. But when they come out, remember, being a leftist means you never have to say you're sorry. You never have to go on like Megyn Kelly and say, oh, boo-hoo, I'm sorry, and then get fired the next day because no apology is, is enough. You never have to say it. They never have to say, we're sorry we supported Bill Clinton when he was... Uh, accused of rape in a plausible way. They never have to say it It, until, you know, Bill Clinton's out of power and then it doesn't matter whether they say it, then they can say it. You never have to say, oh yeah, for eight years we didn't cover the IRS scandal. We didn't cover the, you know, Fast and Furious scandal. We didn't cover the fact that your State Department lied. And when this Russian thing turns out to be a bust, which it certainly will, are they going to start to say, huh? Maybe we should cover this, you know, uh, Spygate thing. Maybe we should, co- you know, cover wh- wh- why was Obama investigating, putting planting people in the Trump campaign? What was that about? You never have to say it. Why? Because these clowns don't do their job. And if you, know, you, know, you want to hear the media at work, all right, the New York Times, a former newspaper, in their uh, famous book review over the weekend, they went out and solicited crime novelists, to write what was going to happen next to Donald Trump. Now they're crime novelists, right? They're immediately gonna go to crime. But I'll tell you a crime novelist that they didn't contact, this guy. They didn't contact this guy. I don't know why. You know, I got all the Edgars. I got all the rewards. I've got, you know, books that have been made into movies, bestsellers. They didn't call me. I wonder why. I wonder why they didn't call me. You know, maybe they didn't want to hear about how, you know, blithering prevarication the third was going to get backed over by a cement truck. No. Instead, they got a lady named Zoe Sharp, a crime novelist named Zoe Sharp, and she literally writes a story in which Donald Trump is assassinated. So in the pages of the New York Times book review, there is a lady fantasizing in print about Donald Trump being assassinated. So here it is. It's the Russian, of course, the evil Russian that he's been colluding with is now sent to get rid of him, right? And the Russian waited until Donald Trump was a few step, had gone a few steps past him before he drew the gun. I'm reading her words now, right? He sighted on the center of the president's back and squeezed the trigger. The Makarov pistol misfired. The secret servant agent, service agent at the president's shoulder heard the click, spun into a crouch. He registered the scene in Instantly drawing his own weapon with razor edge reflexes. The Russian tasted failure. He closed his eyes and waited to pay the cost. It did not come. He opened his eyes. The Secret Service agent stood before him, presenting his Glock. But first, here, the agent said politely, use mine. Your media at work, ladies and gentlemen, fantasize. I mean, it's disgusting, fantasizing in the pages of the book review about murdering the president of the United States, but it's his fault. It's his fault. The And this is the other thing. Again, They act It's all different now because of Donald Trump. They act as if they didn't imagine George W. Bush being assassinated. They did. They did. There were artwork, movies, all kinds of things, pictures, you know, sent out uh, imagining George W. Bush, who also, remember, was literally Hitler. Hitler gets around. Hitler, you know, for a dead guy, Hitler must have a lot of energy because he is just getting elected president every other couple of years. You know, George W. Bush, literally Hitler. Mitt Romney, a murderer, a dog-torturing, you know, gay-bashing murderer. I mean, Mitt Romney, a guy who never did anything but show up with people at people's houses with soup. You know, I mean, this is the guy, and they have been doing it all this time, but now suddenly, suddenly it's Donald Trump's fault. Suddenly, it's because you never have to say you're sorry. Here's another piece in the New York Times. They have this thing called, I think it's called the Stone of the Rock. It's their philosophy section. We're very deep. Oh man, it is so deep. It's like it's like that opening I did about you know, orange man bad, orange man evil. Here's a guy named George Yancey. He's a professor of philosophy at Emory University. Hashtag I am sexist, okay? This is un- unbelievable. I'm just talking about hatred. I'm just talking about ginning up hatred. If you are a woman reading this, I have failed you, he says. Through my silence and an uninterrogated collective misogyny, I have failed you. I have helped and continue to help perpetuate sexism. This is, really, it's like these Stalin show trials. I know about how we hold onto forms of power that dehumanize you only to elevate our sense of masculinity. I recognize my silence as an act of violence. And you know, when people commit acts of violence, you have a right to strike back, right? So he's recognizing just being a man, just being a man is an act of violence. For this, I sincerely apologize. Sorry, you know, no, sorry, Professor Yancey, no apology is enough. You have to get on the Megyn Kelly train out of town. All right, now listen, I speak as an insider. In other words, he's a man. I know about what so many of us men think about women the language we use, the sense of power that we garner through our sexual exploits, our catcalling and threatening. First of all, I'm sure Professor, what's his name, is out catcalling and threatening people. Our sexually objectifying gazes. Ooh, even when you look at a pretty girl, even when you look at a pretty girl, you are committing an act of violence. Are dehumanizing and despicable sexual gestures, and get this one, folks, our pornographic imaginations. Are you having a sexual fantasy? You are committing an act of sexist violence. Just being a man. This is not simply locker room banter. Well, yeah, it is. That's what he's describing, right? But a public display of unchecked bravado for which we often feel no shame. Well, he wants to put an end to that, right? This is your media you stink and you know this is your loving caring compassionate media of course they're to blame of course they're to blame it's the new york times that used to be a newspaper of course they're to blame for the rhetoric they've been doing this for decades now you stink because you're a man you stink because you're white you stink because you're american you stink because you're christian and you send donald trump as oh you hit me. You bet we did. You bet we did. And you're going to get a lot more of it. There's more to come. You know, Allie Beth Stuckey, who I uh, had the pleasure of meeting, we were doing uh, Ben's Sunday show on, uh, on Fox. And um, she told me, you know, I'm very impressed. She's a very intelligent uh, young lady. And I was very impressed with her. And then as we were walking out, she told me that she sometimes writes for the Babylon Bee, which has become, as I keep joking, the second best source of political satire in America. It really has become excellent. She put out her own Uh, Democrat uh, campaign video where she just basically uh, pretends to be a Democrat and she speaks the quiet parts out loud. Go find it because it's really funny, but we'll just play a minute of it here.
3: Democrats are the party of equality, so much so that we insist upon unconditionally believing women and disbelieving men because, well, feminism. If you ask us to explain this logically, we will scream in your face and call you a misogynist. Republicans want to take away a woman's sacred right to choose to have her child decapitated inside the womb and torn apart limb by limb with forceps. Democrats celebrate the right to violently murder your child because we're compassionate. Democrats believe that women are powerful and independent. They are also helpless victims of the patriarchy who require government intervention to succeed. Any woman who disagrees with us on this is a self-hating, stupid bimbo. And you know, it's time someone was finally brave enough to say this. Republicans are racist. Democrats have the same positive message for minorities that we have for women. You're a victim and you're useful to us. If you disagree, we'll insult your intelligence, but it's for your own good.
0: <laughs> Go watch the whole thing. That is that is the rhetoric that started it all. That is where it comes from. That's who they are. That's who the media is. They got no one. There's no one in their, on their staff, no one of power on their staff who represents the rest of us. They only represent themselves. They have been cursing us, cursing everything we love, cursing everything we hold dear, our Bibles and our guns, the whole thing. They've been doing it for years and years and years, and now they're getting some of it back, and they don't like it. Congratulations. Too bad. We got roaming millennial coming up. We're going to uh, stay on here so you can watch. But that's no reason not to subscribe. In fact, it's all the more reason you should feel guilty and subscribe. You subscribe for it's a lousy ten bucks a month. For hundred bucks a year, you get the entire year and the leftist tears Tumblr subscription gets you another kingdom, which is coming. The new one uh, episode four, I guess, will be available tomorrow for everybody. Is that right? Yes. I'm losing track a little bit, but episode four, there are only 10 episodes of this one. So episode four will be available for everyone tomorrow. Monday, episode five will be available for subscribers. Subscribers get the shows. They can watch everything here. They can ask questions on all our shows through the mailbag or just when, you know, when we're on live, you can sometimes send us in questions, but we will take a break for a minute and then we will have Lawrence and roaming millennial. all right roaming millennial you know is the star of her own popular youtube channel and now the host of crtv's roaming millennial uncensored where she discusses stories not covered anywhere else at the intersection of culture and politics. Warren Chen, it's so nice to see you.
2: Yeah, thank you so much for having me here.
0: It's, it's a real pleasure. You're you're down from Canada, right? You are a Canadian.
2: Yes, I have made the very long trek down here to, I guess, Southern California, and you know I'm loving the weather, but I, I don't know how you people in LA do it. Like oh, man. I mean the traffic, everything's expensive, just gosh.
0: It's it's a tough city. It is it is a tough city to love, I gotta yeah. say. You know, the weather, as you say, the, the weather's beautiful. There are places where you can see them, get beautiful views. But it's a tough town to love, I guess. Yeah,
2: I mean, just from the airport, we, we uh, it was busy. Took a while to find an Uber. I was on the phone with a guy trying to find him, and someone else jumps into my Uber. And it's like, yeah, I'm Lauren. You can go now. And I'm on the other line. Like, no, it's not me. She's trying to wow. steal my Uber. Wow! Checking out of our hotel, um, someone had just put a random charge on my room. They spent like seventy bucks at the hotel bar, and I guess had just assigned a random new room number. And it's like.
0: Uh, Welcome to LA. It's (laughs) (laughs) it's a land of hope and glory. So how does a Canadian, I mean, I think of Canada now Mm -hmm. as basically like just one faceless mass of liberals. How how does a a Canadian become a conservative?
2: Well, it's interesting because I, I was born in Canada, but I didn't grow up in Canada. I grew up in Hong Kong and growing up, my parents were very apolitical. I mean, of course the political scene in Hong Kong is different than here, but um, I guess I became conservative socially just because my parents were conservative okay. socially. I mean, yep. there are kind of things now where even just the way parent, or kids talk to their parents, where I would never dream of it when I was a child. That's just not right. the way I was brought up. And then um, I got interested in politics, just sort of a happenstance. And for a while, I was a huge Michael Moore fan. Um, but that, that when he was doing things like criticizing the Iraq War and stuff, which I don't, even necessarily see as a partisan issue sure. anymore. Yeah. Um, and uh, when I started getting interested in politics, just I guess the social conservatism that I was used to growing up, things like individual responsibility, things like that, translated to political conservatism as well. And uh, I mean, Hong Kong has like 15% flat tax. It's very economically free. Yeah. Politically, it's a different story. But you know, that that's kind of the, I guess, the perspective that I was coming in from. So um, was. Um, you know, a tween when I moved back to Canada, maybe 11, and um, I've only ever lived in Canada about for about six years now. Since I've spent almost as much time in the States, I have as I have Canada, and I've got to say, uh, I just avoid political conversations when I'm in Canada. I just, <laughs> I, I tell them I do makeup on YouTube. Like <laughs> I really don't talk
0: about it. I, I've noticed. I mean, Canadians are completely clueless about every. You know, they just they just love their their. Uh, healthcare, yeah. and they think it's wonderful, and then they have to wait online. If they have to wait for t- two years, it's And fun.
2: what's yeah. funny is that Canadians, if you ask a Canadian, like, what do you think of the healthcare? They'll go, oh, I hate the wait times. We don't have any doctors. I don't have a family doctor right now, because yeah. mine retired, and there's wait wait lists for anyone. So we, we love complaining about our healthcare, but then when someone says, like, oh, the states, they're like, ha they're awful healthcare. It's like, uh, so I feel like it's a point of national pride to just Crap on the American healthcare yeah. system, but I mean that's not to say ours is any better right now. Although it, it's different province by province, maybe it's better in other places. But I can tell you for sure that Quebec and Ontario, it's it's not doing very well. It's not
0: doing. Yeah, of course, it always breaks down. So you say that you're talking about the intersection of culture and politics, which mm-hmm. is what I like to talk about too. What are the kinds of things that motivate you? What do you, what do you, what really gets you upset, or what really gets you going, and and makes you want to talk?
2: Mm-hmm. Well, I think. A lot of people who are interested in this kind of thing now, my show or your show, they're people who may not have even considered themselves politically active or interested, but it's sort of the the people who want to shove a certain lifestyle or point of view, they came to them and they made it impossible to ignore culture and politics. Right? We see this with uh, the number of young people who are now interested in these issues because They're trying to come after their games, their video games, right? Mm -hmm. They're seeing it in their movies, their TV shows, right? Now everything is about progressive leftism. You can't escape it. And I think that's, um, it's sad because I, I would love to live in a world where not everything is politicized, but it's also in a way good because it's waking people up to these issues which have been around for a long time, but they're now, I think, coming more to a head.
0: Interesting. I mean, I, you know, I've, I've been a very uh, vocal anti-feminist, and I, I can't help noticing that you're a girl. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, it's how uh, I identify. Yeah, it's how you identify as a girl. And I, is, is my uh, objectifying male gaze, is that the disturbing you? I mean, do you, do you feel that you are op- oppressed uh, in any way, as as a woman, I mean, I know that being a woman has its difficulties. But.
2: I mean, being a woman has its difficulties. Being a man has its difficulties. Being tall, being short has its difficulties. Right. I mean, you ask uh, the gingers how they're doing; they'll say that they're often very impressed, which is, I mean, I perhaps have contributed to that in some way. But <laughs> uh, yeah, I I don't feel like being a woman is this huge thing where you know everyone is out to pay me less than they would a man or I, uh, I don't know sexually assault me (laughs) surreptitiously in in a work context. That's just not the way that I feel. And what's so interesting is that any time where I have felt uncomfortable being a female where like I'm not safe or I am being objectified, it's been in the context of a liberal progressive person or area. Really? Right. Because you know, I'm I'm from a small town, I'm from the countryside. I as a woman can Walk anywhere that I want and feel safe. Uh, you know, all my f- my uh, family, friends, and everything. We're all conservative, so the ev- no one would ever dream of saying something inappropriate. Everyone's like very like proper and stuff. But it's when I'm in a place like L. A. where I feel I feel uncomfortable. Actually, one of my my friends here, we were supposed to meet, and uh, they're like, oh, where you know where where do you want to go? And I was like, oh, you are somewhere early, quiet. I don't go to bars, but they're like, oh, we have this person who's playing. You should really come, and I was kind of like, ah, I don't. But anyway, we ended up going, and apparently, it's like a known thing. It's this dive bar that's hipsterish, but it's called No Vacancy. And so I show up alone to to a parking lot that's dark, and no mm. one else is there. I go up to a weird, quiet room, and I open the door to what I think is the entrance of a bar, and there's just a woman in her underwear. Lying on the bed. No. Uh, it's apparently a gimmick <laughs> that's supposed to look like a brothel. Oh, I get
0: it. Okay. But as
2: someone who didn't know that, it just looked like a brothel. You know, it does
0: seem to me that women suffer more from that kind of culture than here. from anything else. Yeah. Yes,
2: here. And that's the thing. And so I freaked out and left. And after my friend was like, oh, no, it's just a gimmick. Come back. And it's like, even then, I don't want to go. <laughs> like, I don't want to be at that bar. Yeah. So, and... That's just not something that in my everyday life, not in L.A., that that I encounter, though. But it's funny, the, the moments where I am uncomfortable come from the more liberal, progressive side of things. I,
0: I, you know, I think so much of this, so much of this stuff I've heard, the Me Too stuff... Yeah, it's, it's all, all Hollywood. It's They're all raping each I other. I know, yeah. I know. And it's all from people who were told that the old rules didn't count anymore, that the old morals didn't matter, yeah. and they could just kind of do whatever they wanted to.
2: I mean, we saw everyone was making fun of Mike Pence when he said that he doesn't go I to know. dinner alone. Yeah. No one's making fun of Mike Pence now. Yeah, I guess I he's not going to have any Me Too stories. Yeah,
0: yeah. No, it's really strange. What do you make of now all this, the idea that men and women are actually not, they don't exist, as a, they're not the only kinds of, the sexes there are or whatever I mean
2: it's weird there's this dichotomy where as men and women aren't real gender is what you feel it's anything and everything but also the patriarchy and male oppression is ingrained in our society right. so it's like how do you how do you reconcile both of those things because either it's immutable and doesn't matter we can identify as whatever we want it's all just a social construct or the men as a group have been oppressing us women right so like how do you what if what if one of the males on, on a board, I think it's California, recently passed that certain number of, of shareholders or board members need to be female. What if one of those men now decides to identify as a woman? As a woman, Then what, what do you do <laughs> with right. all of your diversity quotas then? Boy, that's a,
0: I didn't even think of that. That's a really good point. Right. What, you know? what do you do? Yeah.
2: It's internally inconsistent.
0: That's great. I, I, somebody should do that just for the fun of it, yeah. just to so get the lawsuit going. That's that's, that's re- really true. You outed yourself, I don't know, about six months a year ago as a Christian. Yes. I know, now... In your audience, which is obviously going to be a young audience, is that does that make you a real outsider?
2: Yes, and especially, I mean, I'm on CRTV now, which is amazing, but I have noticed there's a difference between sort of the CRTV audience and the general YouTube audience that I have. Um, the general YouTube audience that I have is they are, I would say, majority not Christians. Not Christians. Um, right. So that's really interesting for me, and especially on the show, we've started to talk more and more about Christianity. Michael Knowles, when I had him on, we discussed just entirely Christianity. And that's something that I'm. As I get older, the more I see that if we each had our own lives in check, maybe all this political stuff wouldn't matter. So I'm actually focusing more on stuff like Christianity because yeah. I see it as more important. Uh, but I do notice that, you know, in the YouTube setting, I'm one of the only people who are who's talking about something like Christianity when it comes to social issues or political issues. And I recently went to this big YouTube convention of speakers who talk about politics on YouTube. I was literally the only Christian. I'm sorry, me and my fiance were the only Christians. So it's a it's a strange situation to be in.
0: That that is do you get a lot of, do you get a lot of hate or just disagreement?
2: I mean, there's I think for the most part it's mainly just disagreement. Um, people who are like they disagree with me and that's fine. Would love to be able to talk to them about it because I didn't start out as a Christian. Um, I was kind of raised Christmas, Easter Catholic, uh-huh. but then went through my Angsty atheist period, and then didn't become born again until later. Um, so I, I would love to talk to them about it. Um, most people are respectful, but you do have like the fedora tipping atheists. It's like, I, I don't know. Like, but did you know that that Christmas was actually pagan? It's like, oh really? Tell me more about this. I, I hadn't heard of the entire Christi- like history of, yeah. of Christianity, and yeah.
0: Is there anything? Well, I, 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 two last questions. One is: Is there anything that feminism offers you that simple freedom doesn't offer you?
2: Um, no, and that's, I mean, not that I can think of right now. And actually, the the funny thing is that when it comes to things like feminism, to me, I, I appreciate freedom very much so. But that's not exclusive to feminism. I think it's actually the antithesis of feminism currently. But uh, I, I think our our culture when it comes to gender relations needs to focus a little bit less on freedom when we're about working together, right? I mean, because so much of feminism now is like, you don't have to have a husband, you don't have to have children. Like, you're free not to do that. It's like, you should be free not to do that, sure. but maybe you sh- still should. <laughs> so I think we need to focus a little bit more on that, which yeah. maybe isn't conducive to social liberalism, but it's what makes people happy. It's what makes women most happy statistically.
0: I, I can't help noticing that, I know. Yeah. yeah. So, so my, my last question, is there anything about Canada that is better than here?
2: Um, You're
0: allowed to say. I mean. I'm,
2: I'm in LA right now, so I'm just trying to like I mean, put the mindset LA, outside, okay, yeah. outside of LA. Um, we don't have the crime that you do.
0: Yeah, anywhere, which even, is in nice. the, even in the big city.
2: I mean, I, I you know I'm not from Toronto. I don't. Yeah. I avoid it at all costs. Same thing with Vancouver. But just yeah, all in all, Canada is, is uh, safer than the U S. Yeah, not sure, just sure. Uh, the aggregate, which is nice. Of course, we don't have the uh, you know the immigration and demographic issues that you do. So. Yeah.
0: And it's it's funny. Everybody talks about how nice Canadians are, but that's because they're on the coast. Once you move out, once you move off the coast, Americans are the nicest people in the world.
2: Yeah, no, that that's yeah. absolutely true. Actually, my fiance and I were commenting on how much nicer Americans are than where we live in Quebec, where they're like French Canadians. So they're oh, not right. they're not the nicest I people. Know, that's where crowder uh, no, comes. No, Americans from, are tell. very friendly people. <laughs> yeah, <for> no.
0: Sure. Lovely. <laughs> all right, Romy Millennial. Congratulations on your show, and I appreciate you coming on. I'll talk to you again.
2: For sure. Thank you so Beautiful
0: much. Cat. Stuff I like. That was great. I want that to play whenever I walk into a room from you now. That was actually terrific. That was, uh, so we're coming up to Halloween. I think this will probably be the, my last Halloween stuff I like. I can't remember when. It must be six days from now. That's so, so this is probably my last Halloween stuff I like. To get you away, to wean you from this horrible stuff like Halloween movies, like you know people ripping each other to shreds and gutting each other. Where the only thing that's scary. Let me suggest one of the great ghost story writers, E. F. Benson. Like all great uh, ghost story writers, he was born in like 1867, so he was in that period, the pinnacle of uh, of ghost stories, the great British ghost stories. Like almost all male ghost story writers, he was gay. I, I have no idea what that's about. It's Like musical comedy, you know, some some things for some reason, gay guys have the absolute superpower when it comes to writing ghost stories. His most famous story is called The Bus Conductor. And the minute you read it, you'll think, oh, you'll say, oh, I thought that was an urban folktale. It's the one where the guy wants to get on a bus and the bus conductor says, I have room for one more. It's been made into a Twilight Zone episode. It's been made into everything. But the the story you should look up and you can get it online is called Room in the Tower by E.F. Benson. Really spooky. The first two or three pages are some of the spookiest stuff I've ever read. And then then go get the movie Dead of Night, 1945, from Ealing Studios in Britain. It is an anthology story, uh, anthology film of ghost stories, and it's uh, just it's it's terrific. It's not my favorite. My favorite movies, ghost story movies, are The Haunting and The Innocence. But this has some great stuff in it, including a story called uh, I think it's called The Hearst. That I write it down. No, it's it's called something like the. Um it's 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 anyway it's an adaptation of The Bus Conductor by E.F. Benson. So one they're all famous ghost stories but they're retold in another way. Dead of Night really good. So here's the thing, I am going uh I got to go to New York and I'm going to come back here on Mondays but my first show will be on Tuesday. So I'll go from Tuesday to Friday instead of Monday to Thursday. It'll be a slightly longer clavenless weekend, I know, so God only knows what catastrophes will befall you, but you will have uh, another kingdom to keep you warm, and survivors can gather here on Tuesday. I'm Andrew Claven, and this is the Andrew Claven Show. The Andrew Claven Show is produced by Robert Sterling.